the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. What we worship is determined by what we love, and what we love comes from what we consider worthy of our time and devotion. Some people worship themselves. Their own little world is all that seems to matter. Some people worship an activity or another person or a job. It's even possible to attend church and not have God as our focus in worship. It's tragic how many times we go to church and think and talk about everything else but never really encounter God, the one who calls us to worship Him in the first place. Only God is worthy of worship. Anything that comes before Him is an idol that replaces Him. It's time to put away our modern idols and get back to worshiping the only one who is worthy. Today, our verse-by-verse Bible teacher, Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is beginning a short series about worship. The goal is not to try to help you understand worship better. It is to call us all to get back to the worship of the one true God who will not share his glory with another. Here's Pastor Steve. A generation ago, Christian pastor and author A.W. Tozer said, worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical church. He said, worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical church. We know it's been many years since Tozer first uh, uttered those insightful words, but the jewel that he called worship, I believe, is still missing for the most part. Basically, individual Christians and today's local churches know very little about worshiping God. And I think the reason for this is that the typical evangelical church is prone to be man-centered rather than God-centered. We may call our church services worship services, but much of what we do in those services uh, really is not worshiping God. It is a service generally designed to make a congregation feel good by catering to their needs and and wants. And that's really, uh, they're called uh, seeker-sensitive, but what they tend to do is become so overly sensitive to people's needs and wants that they cater to them rather than worshiping God. And so what has happened is that today's Christians tend to bring into the church a, a sort of consumer mentality. That is to say that they come to church seeking to get something rather than to give God worship. It's what's in it for me. They really don't come seeking to worship him above all else as the almighty Lord. It has become a way of life for many that they are looking for something to get from God rather than giving him adoration and worship. They see God as a means to their own selfish ends. They view him as existing to meet their needs rather than existing to minister as they should exist to minister to him through worship. And you know what? Pastors are very alert to this. Pastors know what's going on. They've read all the Barner reports. They know. 
And they, uh, they know that many people have this type of consumer mentality and this, this mentality that shops around for a church that offers them the best deals on feel good sermons and programs, the, the kind of music that they want to hear, the activities for the whole family. And so what pastors do, because they are aware of this, they are prone then to give God's people what they want in order to make their church most attractive to these people. And tragically, what happens is that worshiping God becomes relatively unimportant. We say we gather to worship Him, but that's really very, very secondary. The main focus of the church becomes, is the customer happy? Is the customer happy? That's what's important because if the customer is not happy, then he will take his business somewhere else. And folks, that is the dilemma of the typical American evangelical conservative church. Now, as a, as a church, as a body of believers, Lakeside is committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of the word of God. And therefore, we need to fight this trend of self-centered, consumer-oriented Christianity. That is a fight that we have to do. And I think one of the ways to do this and, and certainly involved in all of this is for us as a congregation to understand what does it mean to worship God? What does God expect from us? What is acceptable worship to him? Because all worship is not acceptable. Some, uh, some worship would be false worship. What is acceptable? This morning, I'd like us to begin a, a series of studies on worship. This morning, we want to begin to look at several issues related to the subject of worshiping God. And I'll tell you why I want us to study this. Not for us just to increase our, our understanding, but to increase our understanding to enrich our own personal worship. I need this in my life, and I believe with all my heart that as a congregation, we need this. You need this individually. We need this as a church body to understand what we're doing when God tells us to worship Him. So this morning, I want to explore two of those issues in the form of two questions, and I would encourage you to take notes on this. It will enhance your learning. Number one, what does it mean? What does the Bible mean by worshiping God? It's a very basic question, but that's where you have to begin. What does the Bible mean by worshiping God? Secondly, why is it important for us to worship God? Now, let me tell you why I think these are the two questions that we must begin with, and it's for these reasons. First of all, if, if you don't know what it means to worship God, you will never know if your worship is acceptable to Him. You may be going through motions, you may be thinking that you're worshiping Him, but you may not be worshiping Him. Like uh, the young man who a while back said to me, I can no longer worship God through hymns. Well, he, he, he's missed it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand about worship. He has his own little box of what is, what is worship. We need to understand what it means. If we don't understand this basic issue and the answer to it, then we're never going to be giving God acceptable worship. Secondly, why is it important for us to worship God? Because if you don't understand its importance, you'll not be motivated to do it. If you don't understand how critical it is to worship God, it will become to you a secondary issue. And you'll look around and realize that since many Christians do not worship God, it must not be that important, so I'm not going to do it. But it is important, and we want to know why. So let's begin this morning by looking at the very first question. What does the Bible mean by worshiping God? There are several words in both the Old and New Testaments that are translated worship in our Bibles. Several words. But the Old Testament Hebrew word that is used most often 
to refer to worship literally means, this is the literal meaning, to bow down, to bow down. That is the literal Hebrew meaning of that word. Bow down in the sense of falling down before another to express honor and reverence. That, that's, that's what it means, to bow down to express honor and reverence. Now, the most common New Testament Greek word for worship has the literal meaning, and they've just put these two words or two Greek words that they put together, and when you put them together, it means literally to kiss towards, to kiss towards. And it conveys the thought of kissing the hand of another in an expression of reverence and adoration. The ancient Greek people used this word uh, for the adoration of their false gods, their, their idols, as they would prostrate themselves in order to get low enough to the ground to kiss their idols. So when we put all this together, the, the basic thought behind both of these biblical words for worshiping is to bow before him, bow before God with a sense of awe, respect, adoration, honor, reverence. And that is exactly what worship is. That's exactly what it is. It is recognizing how great God is, how awesome he is, and responding to his greatness by giving him praise and honor, obedience, submission, and any other superlative that you can think of, giving it to him. In fact, this is where we get our, our English word worship from. It is taken from an old Anglo-Saxon word, worthship. Worthship. In fact, I believe in, in England that is still used to refer to certain individuals that you highly respect. I would call them your worship. But it simply means that he is worthy. It is, it is almost synonymous. Worship, worthy, worthship. All of it comes together. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. And that's why in the book of Revelation, when we're given a picture of the worship of God's people in heaven, we're told two times in the early chapters of Revelation that, uh, that they cry out to God, worthy is he and worthy is the Lamb. In chapter 5, we're, we're told that uh, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Actually, that's Revelation 4. Worthy, and that's directed towards God the Father. Worthy. And in chapter 5, we're told worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Because God alone is worthy to be adored. We worship him. We worship him. But I think it would be very wrong for us to conclude that worship is something we only do once a week or twice a week on Sunday. And that's where many people's thinking uh, is at, that, that yes, this is what we do on Sunday. We worship. That's not, that's not the full picture. That's only part of it because the Bible presents worship as both a personal individual way of life that ought to take place every day in your life as well as a specific activity that we do with God's people when we gather together on Sundays. So how is worship to be personal? How is it to be individual in your life? Let's turn to Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament in order to explore this and understand this. What does the Bible mean by, by our own personal worship of God? Our own personal worship of God. Romans chapter 12, notice verse 1. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service 
of worship. This is a command. This is a command to worship God by presenting ourselves to him. That's what Paul is saying. Give him yourself. Now, this is true worship. How do we know this? Notice the end of this sentence, uh, this verse, where Paul says this is your spiritual service of worship. That's how it's translated in, in my Bible, which is the New American Standard Bible. The NIV translation is spiritual worship. The King James Version has reasonable service. Now, why does it say reasonable service? Because this word for worship or service is the is a word used of a priest as he served the Lord. It is the imagery of an Old Testament priest worshiping God by bringing him an animal sacrifice. So it is very correct to say either worship or service. It's, it's worshipful service is, is the thought here. Now, before we look at what, what Paul meant by presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, we first need to understand what is it that led up to this statement? If you'll notice, Paul begins verse 1 by saying, therefore. So therefore looks back at what he's written up to this point. You'll never really understand the richness and full uh, point and intent of what the Apostle Paul is saying here unless you understand what led up to that statement. So let's, let's look, let's take a quick overview of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Now understand that uh, the book of Romans is about God's righteousness, how he, how he imparts and uh, justifies uh, sinful creatures, and he declares us righteous. It is the big word that we use, justification. It is by faith alone, by God's grace, righteousness. The gospel of God is revealed in this. But he begins basically getting into his his whole argument, and he is building an argument. In chapter 1, notice verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what Paul is about to do is to prove that everybody on this planet, everyone who's ever lived, everyone who has has ever stepped on this earth is a sinner. He is a sinner. And he begins by saying that uh, everyone has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. What does it mean to suppress the truth? It means to hold it down, to, to, to keep it from uh, um, having an effect on our lives. It, it basically means to reject the light of God's revelation. That's, that's the thought here. He goes on in chapter 2 to tell us how Gentiles have done that. Gentiles who, who didn't have the law of God. Gentiles who didn't have the word of God. How have they rejected God's light? He will tell us, actually in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that the light that they had was, it's true, not the word of God. But ancient Gentiles had a different light. They had the light of creation, and they had the light of conscience. God revealed to them uh, many things about his power and majesty through creation, through nature, but they rejected it. He also has revealed uh, his moral laws in their hearts by uh, implanting in, in their conscience that moral monitor. Actually, the moral monitor is the, the conscience, but they suppress that. And that it really answers a very important question that people have. They'll say, well, what about those people who have never heard of Jesus Christ? How could, how could God uh, not let them go to heaven? Well, that's not the issue, whether they have heard and rejected Jesus Christ. The issue is what they have heard about God, what they do know about God, the, the light that they have been given, they rejected, they suppressed. So don't think that, oh, if they only knew of Jesus, they would have trusted him if they didn't trust the little light that God gave them, they're not going to embrace a larger 
view of, of God's light in the revelation of Christ. So he has proved that Gentiles uh, have suppressed the truth. What about the Jewish person? What about the Jew who, is, who has been given the law of God? He has been given the revelation of God. In chapter 3, and I'm only saving time by not going over all of these verses, but in chapters 2 and 3, Paul builds an argument by saying that, yes, they had the law. Yes, they had the, the uh, Mosaic law, the revelation of God, the oracles of God. And yes, they told people and looked down upon people uh, who didn't obey them. And yes, they were teachers of the law to others. But Paul said, but they didn't obey themselves. They were hypocritical. They were self-righteous. They were, they were the blind teaching others how to see. There were the deaf teaching others how to hear. And Paul says, because of you, because of you, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. They have suppressed the truth because they have rejected the law of God. They have not applied it to their own lives. And Paul's conclusion to all of this is found in in chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. This is his summation of every one of us, whether you have actually committed this sin or not, you are capable of it. It is in your heart. And given the right set of circumstances, you would do and I would do every one of these things. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, meaning there's no one who really understands God in and of themselves. There is none who seeks for God in and of ourselves. No one by his own initiative seeks God. Everyone's turned away, he says in verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Paul's conclusion. And if, and if Romans, the book of Romans and the Bible ended there, we would all be doomed. We would all be in, in dire distress because there would be no hope. We're all sinners. Paul goes on to tell us that God in his mercy has provided a way whereby we can be delivered from this condemnation, this, this lost estate. He begins in verse 19 of chapter 3, just picks it up. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. What he is saying is, don't think that you're going to be able to stand before God and say, God, you didn't understand. I have this excuse. My home life was terrible. That's why I did the things that I did. The Bible here says that every mouth will be closed. When unbelievers stand before Jesus Christ, if they dare to open their mouths, the Lord will say, quiet. There is nothing. There is no defense. There is nothing you can plead before a holy God. There will be no excuse that he'll receive. That's what he means. The world has, will have the, every mouth closed and the world will become accountable to God without excuse. Paul goes on to say, because, here, here's the reason. Because the works of the, uh, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If people say, but, but I did this, but I, God will say, I don't care. Be quiet. I don't care. The law cannot justify you. You could never be saved by the law. Well, then what's the purpose of the law? He goes on to say, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law is like a, a mirror. You look at a mirror to see what you look like. And it, and it many times reveals some things we got to work on. 
The law is like that. We look at the law of God and it reveals our sin. It it can't save you. It just shows you how sinful you are. And then Paul writes, verse 21, in one of the most important verses in the Bible, but now, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. God has provided a way whereby unrighteous people can be declared righteous. And it's apart from the law. He says it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That is to say, the Old Testament spoke of this. It witnessed that it would come. How did it come? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. He's saying that God will provide, has provided a righteousness. He will put on your account the moment you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And he says there's no distinction. It's for sinful Gentiles and sinful Jews. For all, he says in verse 23, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God has provided this magnificent salvation for we who deserve judgment. Salvation is a gift. That's why you can't work for it. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say. It is received by faith and faith alone. Now, having established this, this wonderful salvation, in chapters 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul explains and clarifies certain truths about this faith-based salvation that reveals how really merciful God is. And, and keep in mind, the original readers, this was very new to them. Uh, to the Jewish person sitting in, in somebody's living room reading this for the first time or hearing it read would say, salvation by faith. I thought we had to work for it. Isn't, isn't my salvation because I'm a, a child of Abraham? Isn't my salvation because I've been circumcised and I, I keep the law and I, I go to the temple and I do animal sacrifices? So this was very new for them. And Paul is saying, no, it's by faith and faith alone. So he has to explain some things. And what he is doing is explaining how merciful God has been in this wonderful salvation. And so he goes on in chapters 5 and following to say, for example, that God in his mercy has not only declared us righteous, but we're at peace with him. The war is over. The hostility has ended. God is not fighting you. You're not fighting him. He has given us in this wonderful, merciful salvation, assurance of heaven. We're not only going to heaven, we can have assurance of that. He has caused us to be spiritually united with Jesus Christ. It isn't that you've just come to believe in him. You are joined to him. You are united in him. The spirit of God indwells you. In this merciful, incredible salvation, he has freed us from sin's bondage. You, you are not a prisoner of sin. You may struggle with sin, but you're not under the dominion of sin anymore. The Son has set you free. He has given us a salvation that will never be lost. It is secure. It will never be uh, forfeited. And he has made us adopted sons. He's adopted you into his family. And he has assured us that all things really are working together for good. He is so merciful and so sovereign that he's using everything in life for our own good and his own glory. Now that's Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's an amazing privilege to have a personal relationship with God. We should be thrilled at every opportunity we have to enjoy this relationship, which Jesus Christ made possible through the salvation he obtained for us at the cross. We don't worship God because of what it does for us. We worship God because of what he did for us. And even more than that, just because of who he is. We are glad to be able to bring these sermons to you through the verse-by-verse radio ministry. 
It is our sincere prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by God's Word as it is taught on this program. If you have any questions about today's program or about any of our previous broadcasts, please contact us so that we can help. You can call, write, or email us, whichever is most convenient for you. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. If you'd like to contact us through the mail, our address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. And our email address is info, info at versebyverseradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's broadcast of Verse by Verse is available for download at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can find nearly all of our broadcasts posted there at no charge. Download as many as you like. We'd really like to thank those of you who are partnering together with Verse by Verse through your prayers and financial gifts. Most of our resources are available free of charge. Our goal is to provide biblical instruction and spiritual encouragement to as many people as we can. Partners like you let us do that. We really thank you for your help. That's all for today. This is Jerry Pruden asking you to tune in next time as we continue talking about worship here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.